Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 18th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Dead of Love, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. He says, all governing authorities are selected, they're chosen, they're instituted by God. Pastor Larry Osborne, he put it like this. He said, God is in control of who is in control. All people are to show honor and respect for their governing authorities. Everyone take a deep breath real quick. Have we been conformed to the ways of the world? Have we fallen into that trap that keeps getting set? Or are we different? Just because we can say things, it doesn't mean we should say things. We should honor, we should respect those who are in positions of authority. We've placed politics, we've placed party, we've placed platform, we've placed people over the one true God. That's where we've placed our hope, that's where we've placed our faith, that's where we've placed our trust. It's taken all of our attention, it's taken all of our affection, and that's not where it's meant to be. We serve and follow Jesus. That's who we serve. That's who we follow. It's why we don't preach party. We don't preach platform. We don't preach people. We preach Jesus. Let that be the main thing. All of us can come together and say, do you know what? We might disagree on a couple things, and that's fine because we agree on the one thing. Christ is king. You know, it's been said that that, uh, every one of us fits within one of three groups. You know, you got the haves, which is what we'd all love to be in that group, right? And then you got the have-nots, which none of us want to be in that group. And then you've got those that have, but they haven't paid for it yet group, right? Those that are in debt. Americans seem to understand debt. According to Dave Ramsey, the national debt is about $15 trillion. Somebody this morning told me that that is 12 zeros. I just know that I can't count it up here, so it's a lot more money than I could possibly imagine. And then the average family, the average adult now carries about $60,000 in debt. The truth is, you know, not to go into a long diatribe about this, but, you know, most debt is really unwise because you'll end up paying for something three times over. But some debt is inevitable. For example, if you, know, if, you, if you really want to buy a home someday, the likelihood is, unless you have some kind of a windfall of money that you know, family can give you or, or something like that, you're going to have to incur debt. You're going to have to get a mortgage. It's the only way you're going to be able to own a home. There's another debt, though, that most Christians don't even know that we actually owe. Is that God views love as an obligation for believers, a relational debt. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have highlighted how really difficult the assignment is to love, especially when we disagree. Especially people we almost, we view as enemies, people that are on the other side of sort of the fence from us and people that see things differently. And Paul understands that completely. That's why in chapter 12, he actually starts off and he says, you're supposed to love your enemies, and, which is just kind of a mind-blowing. There's a reason why we call them enemies. Why would I love them? And yet we're told to. 
You get to chapter 13 and, and Paul begins to talk about submitting ourselves and being subject to the governing authorities and you realize how difficult that really is too because the governing authorities were not a friendly ruling group of people. I mean, Nero was in charge of the government. That wasn't a happy thing. It certainly created stress. You know, we're much more apt to, when it comes to, to, to people like that, that we dislike or the government or things like that, we're much more apt to just, you know, not care whatsoever, almost be apathetic. Or, or we mock them. Or maybe we just hate them. Rather than do what Jesus calls it, and that is to love them. That should, though, cause us to ask a really important question. Who is discipling me? Who is setting the tone for my thinking? Because that is not what Jesus is calling us to do. God is calling us to, to live and to think differently than the world, and it, it, it is completely different. The world would never say the things that Jesus calls us to do. I mean, Jesus calls us and says, the first shall be last. You know, we hear a statement like that, and you go, that sounds like a bunch of losers. I mean, last is last, not the first. That's not how I want to live. Or Jesus says things like, the greatest of all is the servant of all. We don't believe that. I mean, in our vernacular today, the greatest of all has the servants. Or you got to lose your life to save it. Or it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or when you get to Romans chapter 12, you know, where we started up two weeks ago, he, he begins to quote Jesus and he says, you're supposed to love your enemies and if they're hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Doesn't seem like you really want to win like that, right? I mean, if they're thirsty, why don't we just let them be thirsty until they come looking for something good? You know, faith-wise, when you and I come to faith in Jesus, we experience a new birth. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want you to get lost in this thing, but I want to make sure you understand something. You experience a spiritual birth, a supernatural act happens in your life. You have a brand new birth. He births you out of the old life into a new one. And with that, he expects more from us. He begins to change the way that the things that I love and the things that I feel like I should do and, and how I see life and everything. And, and it's totally different from the way of the world. And if that's not true of you, you're not a believer. You know, context-wise, the first 11 chapters of Romans are mainly focused on God's saving work of us. But when you get to chapter 12, a, t a change takes place. Now Paul begins to call us to make choices with our mouth and with our hands and with our dollars that reflect a supernatural birth and a transformation of our lives. You see, the saving work of Christ on the cross that dominated the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is done. It's done, he did it. It's past tense, it's accomplished. Now, this is all about our transformation. Everything here, from the end of the four gospels to the very end to the book of Revelation is about one thing, my transformation and your transformation. That's it. 
The gospels have already told us what Jesus did. Now, God is at work in us, calling us to stop thinking like a lost world and start thinking like his servants. Now as a result of salvation, between chapters 12 and chapter 16, will tell us that we are to display the effects of being loved, of being loved so greatly and so undeservedly by loving others who do not deserve it as well. That is the debt that you and I never pay off. That is our obligation as believers. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 13. Follow along with me. Starting in verse eight. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, the first thing you're gonna see here is, Paul's gonna tell us here in verse eight, is love is a debt that we never pay off. Now what happens when you get here is you start realizing is there is a transition that's taking place in the passage here from, from being our, having an obligation to the state to now having an obligation to people. And just so that we're on the same page here, let me ask you a question. Do we always agree with the state? Don't scream yet. I mean, we know. We don't, okay? Do we always agree with our neighbor? No. Does that give us the right not to show the love of God? No. Verse eight starts off by telling us, owe no one anything, which sounds like Paul is saying, stay out of debt, don't borrow. That is not the context here, okay? The context here is not stop getting into debt, it's stop not paying your debt. Make sure you're paying. In fact, verse eight here is actually written in the imperative mode. What that means is, it's not a suggestion, it's not a self-help thing, it's not an opportunity where you can go, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's a command. The command here, the whole thing comes down to that one word, O. Paul uses the word O here in a very positive sort of a way. In fact, go back to verse seven here in Romans 13 and just let me, just, let me read this, kind of set this up. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, it's very interesting when you read that, you realize that the last two things there, respect and honor, don't seem to fit with an owing there. For example, if you go buy a new car, yeah, you might have a car payment, so you owe something. Or if you, know, you decide you're gonna get all new furniture for the outside and, and you know, all this stuff, and you go and you buy that, you might owe something there. And your hope is that you'll keep paying your payment and eventually get to the place where you don't owe anybody, anybody, anything. You're completely out of debt. But when it comes to those two there, respect and honor, when do you stop when do you stop paying respect and honor? The answer is never. Now, let me just kind of deal with a couple of questions that might pop up here in this whole thing. First question is, 
does verse, what does verse eight mean when it says to love? Paul uses a word here that, that you may be very familiar with. It's the word agape. It's a word, you know, been tossed around churches for a long time. The, the Greek language has like eight different words for love. The Bible actually uses four of them. For example, it'll use the word eros, which is where we get romantic love. And it'll use the word philia, which is where we you know, get the word Philadelphia, and that is the idea of brotherly love. And it'll use the word storge, which is where we get family love, but most of the time it will use the word agape. Agape means selfless love, sacrificial love. It's what you and I are supposed to have. According to Jesus here, that even includes our enemies. This is the type of love that you and I are expected to be known for. Now, the second question would be is, who is Paul referring to when he says we're supposed to love each other? I asked my granddaughters about this. Who do you think we're supposed to love? And, and you know, it seemed like the right answer when they popped out, other Christians. I said, yep, we're supposed to love other Christians. But it's more than that. That's not what Paul is saying here. Again, the context here is crucial. In verse seven, here he says, pay to all what is owed. And he mentions taxes and revenue. Let me ask a question. Do you only pay taxes and revenue to Christians? No. Then you get to verse eight, and Paul uses a different word altogether, the word another. Listen to what he says in verse eight. Owe no one anything except you love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That word there, another, is the Greek word heteros. Does that sound like anything you're familiar with? I mean, in a modern vernacular, if I said the word heterosexual, you understand that to mean that I'm attracted to the opposite sex, right? So it's someone that's not like me. So in the context here in verse eight, when Paul writes here, he says these words, oh, no one anything except to love those, or to love each other, for the one who loves someone that is different from them fulfills the law. How different? Different background? Different race? Different socioeconomic status? Different opinion? Different philosophy? Different lifestyle? It's not just like you. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount made it very clear you're supposed to love your enemies. That would be different than us. Romans chapter five, verse eight, when Paul writes about the work of God in our lives, tells us there that God loved us when we were still enemies. That would be different than God. And why, here's the third question. Why is love considered a debt? Because I thought we were saved by grace. The answer is we are. You see, the obligation to love other people doesn't have anything to do with your salvation at all. Nothing. It has everything to do with your obedience. Remember, a great debt was paid on our behalf. My response then as a believer to God for paying this great debt is to do what he commands me to do. And in this case, it is see love as an obligation. 
I am called to love him. In fact, he's even asked, what is the great and foremost commandment? Love me with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you fulfill all of the law. Which tells me that love is both a birthmark of my faith, but it's also the method of operation. It's how I'm supposed to live. It's how people ought to know me. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, he says, let all that you do be done in love, even when you disagree, even when you don't like them, even when you don't see eye to eye, even when you're fundamentally different, you can disagree and still love. Love here includes my, my attitude my mindset, my disposition, my, my response to other people. It isn't just taking the high road. It's taking the right road. You go back to chapter 12 for a minute here in, in Romans. Chapter 12 here, Paul writes in verse 10, he says, love one another. He uses the word there, not agape in that particular case, but he uses the word philia, talking about brotherly love. He's talking about love within the church. You're supposed to love each other within the church. But then you get to verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. That would be outside the church. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17 says, that's outside the church. Verse 20 says, if, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, let, give him something to drink. That's outside the church. In other words, the context is, as a result of the mercies of God, transforming my life, loving me even when I didn't deserve it, now I am to love others even when they don't deserve it. By the way, Verse eight here is not sort of returning to the theme of love because it almost seems like those first seven verses when he talked about, you know, the government and stuff like that, like, it, it, did he just stop for a minute and, and decide to hit on this and now he's coming back to the theme of love? No, it's always been a theme of love. The government here is not buildings and rules. It's still people. People just like you, people that want to be happy and they may see it completely different on, the, on their approach to getting there. We still need to pay our taxes. We still need to do our mortgages, our utility bills. I still need to pay that ticket for driving too fast. I need to do it with love. I don't have to agree. In fact, let me be really clear here. You shouldn't agree when you see wrong. I want to be really clear here. You should not agree when you see wrong. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6, he says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. There is nothing good about that that you say, yeah, I'm for that. No, not at all. But even then, Romans 12, 21 would tell us, overcome evil with good. How? How do you do that? I mean, I, I can't even hardly have a conversation with this person. How do, I, how do I do that? Well, let me tell you two things. One is, the first word I would say is kindness. You say, oh, kindness? 
Yeah, let, let me put it in a theological perspective for you. In Romans chapter two, it tells us that it was the kindness of the Lord that led us to, anybody know? Repentance. God kindly looked at you and said, you don't deserve this, but I'm gonna be kind to you. Okay, so if it was good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us, right? That's where we start, with kindness. The second thing is, practice, practice acceptance without approval. Acceptance without approval. See, to accept someone is to see inherent value in them, that they've been created in the image of God. If you want a biblical example, think about the woman at the well. The passage here tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. By the way, his disciples, none of them wanted to do that because they, they just full on hated the Samaritans. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman who every day would go to a well and sit by herself because no one spoke to her. She was an outcast. And he goes, and you know what he does? He, he just validates her, her humanity, who she is, the fact she's created in the image of God, but he did not approve of her lifestyle. He never approved of her lifestyle. In fact, he says, hey, um, why don't you go get your husband? And she goes, well, you know, and, and he goes, yeah, because you, you don't have one. You're living in sin right now. But she's so moved by his kindness, though, and the acceptance of her having some value, she goes back to her town, risking everything in front of all these people and said, come meet someone who knows everything about me. That, that's a picture of what it means to agape, to sacrificially love people that don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. And someone loved us. You know, a couple of summers ago when the riots were taking place, one church that I know of in one city, they took this very seriously when it says to love your enemies. They, they've debated about it for a long time. They, they just said, you know what, we can't get around the fact that we're supposed to love our enemies, we just don't know how. So they went down, they, they took a table, they took cold water, they took snacks, and they went down to where the riots were taking place. And of course, people were coming up to them because they had a sign out front. They were going, oh, you guys are for us? And they were very careful, very carefully under control. No, we're not for you. We're for Jesus. But we're here to love you. I gotta be honest with you, that's one of the most powerful statements of sacrificial love I've ever heard in my mind. And by the way, if you're mocking that, what have you done to obey the Lord's command to love your enemies? The second thing you see here in this passage comes from verse nine, in fact, that love has always been the command. Look at what he says here in verse nine, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's interesting here is, and I told you this when we started the series in the book of Romans, is that Romans quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book, which to me, really, for us, should validate the fact that the Old Testament has incredible worth. But even more so, when you look at this passage, People tend to look at the Old Testament and they go, you know, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. He's kind of angry and, you know, he seems like he's, he's mad all the time. 
wait a minute, he's the God of the Old Testament is commanding you here to love. In fact, it's Old Testament law. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, you shall not take revenge, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, he says. Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, told us that the love that we're supposed to have has to have a redeemed quality. It has to have supernatural power. It's not something I can do to go and love my enemy on my own. I can't do it. It's completely fake. It will never work. I won't be able to do it. I will undoubtedly slip and let my true feeling come flying out my mouth and offend everybody in the process. It's impossible. It has to be done with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of us. He gave us an example of this. I mean, that's why that love is so difficult. In Matthew chapter 5, Verses 43 through 46, Jesus said these words. He says, you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, before we read verse 46 here, let me remind you. This is where he's gonna call you to agape. This is where we are, we're different. If you're a believer, this is where we have to be different. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, if I only love the people that I agree with, you're not showing any redemptive power. You're not showing the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not showing anything in your life that allows you to honor God. Paul here mentions four of the commandments, of the Ten Commandments here. The chief truth is here is that love is more than words. True love comes out in our responses, in our actions, in our attitudes. If you truly love others, both our words and our actions will reveal it. I won't create a moral dilemma. I won't cheat. I won't let my, my anger rise up so high that it just takes over and I end up taking a life. Or I won't let my, my jealousy, you know, control me to the point where I take what's yours from mine. Or I won't be envious of what you have, but I'll celebrate the fact that, hey, you're blessed, that's great. All of these are a love beyond words. Now, the third thing he's gonna tell us here from, comes from verse 10, and that is that love fulfills the law. He says this, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love fulfills the intent of the law because all things in the law can be summarized by, by be fulfilled by love. The law here would have included not only the Ten Commandments, but every moral ceremony, every civil regulation, everything that governed the life of a person in Israel, male and female, would have been covered in the law, and when the regulations were all about one simple thing, this is how, if you, you know, keep all these things, this is how you can love me and you can love other people. Everything at that point was to be summed up in one operative word, love. Paul echoed the same exact thing in Galatians chapter five, verse 14. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. 
That means that love is the only legitimate debt, the only obligation that you and I can never fully pay off. James calls it the command, calls the command here the royal law. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, you are doing right. Go back to verse 10 for a minute. He says, this is the point of the Old Testament law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and and join me. Let me ask you a question, a really important question here, and I, and I, I want you to think this one through. Do you think it's possible for you to love God but not love others? Theologically, the answer is it's not possible for you to do that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone that does not love does not know God, because God is love. The word here, again, is agape. It's not an emotion. It's not an attraction. It's not a wooing. It's not a recognition of of beauty, beauty by somebody. It's a decision. It's a decision that we make in obedience to the Lord. It's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. I will just tell you this. On your own, it's impossible. It is impossible on your own. But it's possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you something here. If you got your Bible, would you go over to 1 Corinthians 13 for a second? I want to show you how important this really is that you and I learn to express agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul writes and he says this For I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to be be able to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's not how I want to have lived my life. I don't want to come to the end of my life spiritually and have done nothing. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and have the Lord look at me and go, well done, good and faithful servant, because I asked you to do something really hard, and you did. I asked you to do what I did, love the unlovable. Paul takes it even a step further here in, in verses four through seven. He makes it very practical. He says, love is patient. By the way, every time love fits here, you could just see if, to yourself, see if you could put your name in. Love is patient. I really struggle with that one. I was told that yesterday. 
If I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord, I can't just go, oh, well, this one, no big deal. No, I need to wrestle with that. If that's the one that God is calling me to get better at, then, Lord, I want to be better at that. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't put stickers on on the back of their car that say, F our president. It's ridiculous. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're going to do that. We're called to a higher level. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. No one is saying here, agree. We're not supposed to rejoice at that. But rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and here's the kicker. And it endures all things. You know what that means? It's going to be really, really hard. But if you do it, the Holy Spirit will get you through. You'll get through. You know what's unfortunate is that we tend to think that if I love other people, it sounds really weak, and if I love them, they win. Somehow they they must win. Let me ask you a question. Who won on the cross? I mean, did the Romans win because they were the ones that nailed Jesus to the cross? Or the Sanhedrin win because it was their lies that put him there? And they were able to shut him up for a time? The scriptures tell us that Jesus won. His victory over death and the grave is how we got salvation. Now, I am called to do the same thing. I'm I'm called to defeat evil. How do I do that? Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it tells me that I overcome evil with good. See, love doesn't do anything that would hurt another. True love desires the best for another. And that means very often that we need to deliver truth to people. They need to know truth. But you do it with kindness and grace just like God the Father did with you. And so here's your assignment, church. Heteros. Love people that are different than you. Show the love of God, that sacrificial love that he does his work in you and show it to others. I know it's difficult. There isn't anything about agape that is easy. It is incredibly hard to be kind to people that are not kind to you. But do not drop to that level. Rise to the level that a supernatural God living inside of you has the control to allow you to minister in his name. Love for Christ's sake. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that you would move in our hearts in a very powerful way. For the heart that's confused, God, that you would provide clarity. For the heart that's empty, that you would fill it up. 
For the heart that's broken, that you would heal it. For the heart that's angry, that you would bring peace. We would be your servants. And that just as we were loved so undeservedly by you, that we'd be the instruments of your love to others who equally do not deserve it. But that we would leave that to you, God. We would simply do the things you asked us to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Immediately following the service, there are gonna be some people that will be down here. They would love to be able to pray with you about anything, but let me ask you a question. Would you like God to do something amazing in your life? It's a very simple question. If the answer is no, I wanna encourage you. There's, there's a group of people down here who would love to talk with you about beginning a relationship with Jesus. But if the answer is yes, the call here is agape. Agape. Sacrificially love. Undeservedly love. Do it for Christ's name. And watch what God does within you and around you and to the people around you because it is so incredibly different that God will receive honor, you'll get the blessing of being a part of it all and you'll understand what it means to walk with Christ. Do it this week. God bless you. Love you all.